So I got a joke for you. Oh, I'm ready. Well, stop me if you've heard this one before. (laughs) An actor, a lawyer, a singer, an NFL player, and a communist walk into a bar. (gasps) And they're all the same person. Yeah, it's Paul Robeson. (laughs) That's good. I like that. (laughs) I was listening to that Trillbilly episode about uh, polymaths. (laughs) He definitely was. But he he never gets called a polymath. Okay, what's the deal with that? Polly, I think they're on to something that it was just like old timey. You were a fairly smart guy with a lot of books. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you were a nerd. Yeah, you, you were a rich nerd. Because <laughs> you could be like smart as fuck. You know, you could like do a lot of mental math and stuff. Like oh, yeah. everyone turns to you to like do the crop calculations or something. But you're a peasant, and so so you don't know. <laughs> it doesn't Latin. count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my man Paul is a polymath. I love it. All right. Yeah, let's get into him. Let's do it. This is going to be kind of a half bio, half music episode, actually, uh, because he does a lot in his life in terms (laughs) of like leftist activism and stuff. Uh, So starting out childhood, you got to be born, you know, to to get things going. (laughs) Traditionally, I've heard that. So Paul Robeson was also born. One day we'll do a bio of a synthetic person, a robot (laughs) And they will not be born. That's true. Yeah, that's fine. I thought I'm okay uh, with that. Transhumanism is welcome here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was born April 9th, 1898 in Princeton, New Jersey. Another Aries. Oh, yeah. he may. He's probably an Aries. Ooh, okay. Fiery. His father, William Robeson, was born into slavery, escaped as a teenager and became a minister. Uh, his mother, Maria Bustle, was from a Quaker family of mixed ancestry. Uh, and died when he was young. Sorry, what year was he born again? 1898. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> That's a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. So just to, just to give our audience a little time frame there. <laughs> and so, so from a young age, Paul Robeson really stood out as somebody. He was, he was a kind of an all around standout in high school in athletics football basketball baseball track in arts in terms of theater and choir uh in academics he was the valedictorian uh he won a statewide academic contest that got him a full scholarship to Rutgers. holy crap okay so hit it right out of the gate you know yeah doing well prodigy yeah (laughs) does prodigy imply that you stop being good or just be regular good at some point yeah, that's what I, I think of it as, like, you peak early. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was a prodigy then. But then Mozart was a prodigy and kept going. That's true. It's not like Mozart, like, started sucking shit at one point. <laughs> yeah, he just puts out, like, an emo album or something. <laughs> he just goes, plink, plink, plink. I'm done. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> I liked his old shit better. Yeah, I like Mozart, <laughs> like, the early stuff. Oh, yeah. Do you think there were symphony hipsters back then i think they are still symphony hipsters now so i bet they were there too (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i was picturing with the big powdered wigs Mm, and everything it's like "Mm, vivaldi has really gone downhill well there's that story of i can't remember which song it is but they're like at the premiere people started losing their fucking minds like they're like this is crazy i wish i could remember what it was it's a very famous one. I'm, it's fine. Like Handel's Messiah or something? Something to, yeah, equivalent to that. 
Um, people started like losing their fucking minds that like in a bad way, like they didn't like it. I think this sucks. <laughs> like it was too, it was too like obscene. Not like it was like horny or anything. It was just crazy. It's just like a saxophone. I mean, I'm Googling this. <laughs> it's just very sexy music. <laughs> They're hold like, on, no. hold on. Um, how the fuck am I going to Google this? Crazy premiere symphony. That's a good one. Thank you. I'm sorry, Wikipedia has a article titled List of Classical Music Concerts with an Unruly Audience Response. Yeah, I just found top five crazy riots in classical music. <laughs> Is everyone okay? Y'all, we thought it was like just, <laughs> you know, mosh pits gone awry and stuff. <laughs> okay, the one I knew was Rite of Spring. Mm, okay. Anyway, Side sorry. <laughs> We got okay. really invested in... We probably have to leave that all in. <laughs> we do. We absolutely do. All right. So he's a, then he goes to Rutgers. He was yes. the third black student ever enrolled at Rutgers. Okay. I was going to ask, like, this is pretty early on. Yeah. And at the time, he was the only one. Uh, and so he faced plenty of racism, obviously. He participates in uh, football. And, like, sometimes when they... Well, initially, even, the his teammates, like, beat him up. Jesus. And it's kind of crazy because you'll hear his voice in the songs as we play them later. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. But he, in interviews, says that he always, from then on, from getting his nose broken and that, his singing, like, he struggled through that. Like, in <gasps> some way, he thinks that diminished his capabilities. And you're just, when you hear him, you're going to be like, what? Th- this <laughs> is his second best voice. Yeah. Uh, so, but he did, he makes the team, you know, he sticks it out and uh, is an All-American. Like, he's he's a standout. All-American means best football player? It means, like, yeah, you're <laughs> among the country's best. The country's best yogurt. <laughs> yeah, but for football. <laughs> but for football. Okay. It's just a football-themed TCBY. Um, <laughs> here's how good he was. Walter Camp, known as the father of American football... Okay, that's not an exaggeration. This guy invented the line of scrimmage. <laughs> okay, yeah, so he did the damn thing. And downs, like first down, second down, that See, was yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I have him to blame for me not understanding any of the rules. <laughs> Walter Camp said that Paul Robeson was the greatest defensive end to ever trod the gridiron. Now, I guess he did have a smaller selection size because it was early in football, but still. <laughs> <laughs> there was just like 10 guys who knew it. yeah. He's like, I mean, that guy, <laughs> that guy's pretty best good. one so far. Uh, <laughs> but he was reportedly crazy athletic, was also in the Glee Club uh, informally because they had all white mixers. So he actually couldn't technically be a member. But he, he was so good that they were like, well, I know that like you can't attend our things because we're racist, but we'll let you <laughs> sing with us. You want to hang out? <laughs> yeah. And he was also in the debate club. He was in honor society, ends up being the class valedictorian jesus dude this guy just doesn't quit like i'd be proud of like one of those accomplishments i'd be like i think i'm done here yeah for sure like uh, the guy who made football called me the best yeah i mean you saw my to-do list today i had to write lunch on it like (laughs) that was my accomplishment i cooked lunch we have fallen far (laughs) 2022 sees a different humanity (laughs) i made lunch guys i did it (laughs) Uh, all right, so he doesn't stop there. He goes on to law school, ends up graduating from Columbia Law School, plays in the NFL while doing that. Is this like the first 
year of the NFL. Like, that's got to be early. It's very early on, yeah. He plays for such teams as the Akron Pros and the Milwaukee Badgers. Okay, Badgers is fucking awesome. Pros is really like you didn't really brainstorm any other names. We're like, we're professionals. Like, that's it. It could be worse. Uh, The Arizona Cardinals back in the day, back when they were, before they were in St. Louis, they were in Chicago. And at some point early on in their career, they were named the Normals. (laughs) Sorry, what? The Normals. That's okay. Um, (laughs) I'm a Badgers fan for life now. Yeah, it's they way can better. kick everyone's ass. <laughs> so it could be worse. You could be called the normals. <laughs> the normals, Jesus. Uh, he plays in the NFL for two years, nineteen twenty one and nineteen twenty two, and it's during this time that he meets a woman, Islanda Good, who he courts and marries in nineteen twenty one. That's a cool name. Yeah, it's kind of neat. So they end up married for the rest of their life. It's tumultuous, definitely. He ends up with quite a few affairs under his belt. Whoops. Um, but. That's sort of where his life was. You know, he's busy in all areas, including that one. (laughs) Keeps himself busy. Yeah, true. Wow. He becomes a lawyer. I don't have a lot of details on this, but like people were just very racist back then and they were racist to him. And he was like, fuck this. I'm a lawyer. Like, yeah, I don't have to deal with this shit. And instead gives that up for the performing arts. I mean, that's the natural progression, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, he was good at it. So he figures, why not? Uh, (laughs) I did do law school, but I don't have to do that shit. (laughs) I did that already. Next thing. Yeah. So the next thing um, is he starts out in plays, uh, particularly those of Eugene O'Neill. Is this the guy that was in Reds? Yes. Okay. (gasps) It is that guy. Jack Nicholson. Yeah. So that was, that's only my only reference for him. I was like, cultured (laughs) listeners might be like, oh yeah, Eugene O'Neill. Very well known. But I was just like, oh, Jack Nicholson's character. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, that guy. And he branches out, of course. He ends up in in movies, on the radio, doing musicals, uh, doing just like vocal concerts and stuff, tours all over the place. I wonder if he did any like WPA stuff because they had a bunch of like theater stuff and musical kind of touring groups. Hmm, Could have been. I didn't see any specific reference to it, but possible. Yeah. He was like more well-known though like he was an international name back at this time like he was the man he was touring and especially in europe he really liked touring over there uh but up until this point he kind of he was like pro civil rights obviously but he he kind of saw it as the best way to advance the rights of black americans was to kind of set a good example of what black people could accomplish instead of doing more direct confrontations to racism so he's like, I'm just going to do my career. I'm going to be awesome. And that'll help. <laughs> I mean, right? he is really good at being awesome. So yeah, yeah. good call, I guess. <laughs> if I were uh, that awesome, I think that's what I would do. But it's in 1934 uh, that he starts to, in the UK, he starts to hang out with some anti-colonialists and some socialists. Yum. Anybody I know? Uh, there were uh, future African leaders such as Kwame Nkrumah. Uh, he also talked to one of the future leaders in the Indian independence movement, uh, Jawaharlal Nehru, um, and lots of other people. There were too many people. I did not name them all because it was just, <laughs> there were a lot. Yeah. I didn't put them in my notes. Uh, Big club. He ends up enrolling in the School of Oriental and African Studies at the University of London uh, and studies languages, particularly African ones. He's very interested in learning more about African culture at that time. The dude 
ends up speaking more than 20 languages. Okay. I was just about to say, what if he tried this one thing and was bad at it? Imagine him being bad at something. Like, I don't know if I can at this point. I mean, being a faithful husband. Yeah. Yeah. But everything else. But he's also, he's good at being a ladies man. (laughs) So that's a good you know, tip, life tip for listeners is <laughs> find a way to give a positive spin to what you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really good at taking naps. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so in his time in the UK doing these studies, he gets involved with and even helps to fund a group called the West African Student Union. Okay. What's that? Uh, which they were an anti-colonial African student kind of association. Uh, that's where he is collaborating with Kwame Nkrumah. Uh, future leader of Ghana and in their independent struggle. And this, his activities with this group that is agitating against the British empire, uh, puts him on the radar of British intelligence. (laughs) Of course it does. Anything cool you do, they have to write it down. Yeah. And so he starts, you know, really taking this anti-colonial stuff seriously. He's like, this is, this is a big deal. You know, uh, in December, 1934, he takes a trip to Moscow you know, Ooh. he's been talking to these socialists and they're like, you should check out the Soviet Union. See what they're doing. Okay. Is he into it? Uh, he is 100% into <laughs> it. He spends about a month there, a little, like half a month, really. And he goes with his wife and young child. Uh, they have Paul Robeson Jr. by that point. And they just, they're just like enamored with the place. Uh, he, he's just, you know wow, this socialism, it's really working. You know, and he's not really seeing some of the kind of struggles that they were having in in different regions and stuff, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he's definitely feeling more equal there. He has this quote, here, I am a human being for the first time in my life. I walk in full human dignity. Because people, you know, I mean, they're treating him with respect. He's not getting racist bullshit. Yeah, It's illegal to be racist. They're like, they haul you off to jail for that. (laughs) crazy wow which i'm sure you know people did racist i'm not saying that but like yeah yeah maybe they're like secretly racist at home or something yeah (laughs) almost certainly you know but yeah it was just a a whole new world for him uh especially because on the way over the train that they took went through germany uh had a stop in berlin woof at what year again 1934. Not the time you want to be stopping through Berlin, I don't think. No, he was <laughs> able to speak German to the SS, you know, <gasps> people who were there on the train and, and avoid any problems, but but like fuck, you know? Jeez, yeah. So just a huge contrast. He So he gets more internationalist. He Then after that trip, you know, where they kind of consider like, maybe we should just stay here. This is cool. Uh, but they decide to go back. He tours Ireland and Scotland, starts to really kind of evolve from, uh, at first he was more like, I'm interested in songs of my tradition, things that ha- connect to like the African experience in some way. Uh, but by this point, he starts to see like globally all these different folk traditions as being more united in different ways, like having these connections that he hadn't seen before. He starts to get really interested in that and like Chinese folk music and African folk music and and uh, Scottish folk, like all these weird connections you wouldn't think of. It's crazy how like he can he's just so, you know, intensely musical and everything. He can see those where other people can't. I love that idea. Yeah. I mean, like that's very 
kind of class focused in a way. That's cool. Oh yeah. And it kind of, you know, it kind of informs his like socialist communist conviction is that kind of like uh, in the young Karl Marx, all men are brothers. (laughs) He, uh, in 1937 takes up the Republican cause in the Spanish civil war. Uh, He does concert performances to like raise money for them and stuff. Speaks out and says like, Hey, all you people going, joining the international brigades, good job. You know, y'all are great. Uh, he visited Spain in 1938, went to uh, perform for soldiers in a hospital there, and also visited the battlefront. I mean, I don't think he was participating. No, I think he was well, just yeah, seeing. Well, yeah, but still, but still. That's, that's crazy just to like yeah. go over there. It does not seem safe. So, no, uh, yeah, I think I think it wasn't. He <laughs> felt that though he must. He has this quote from this time period where he's really, you know, I think by this point he's fully radicalized and fully said, "I'm going to do it." Because his quote is, "The artist must take sides." He must elect to fight for freedom or slavery. I've made my choice. I had no alternative. Oh, oh, I've got my hand on my chest. I'm thoroughly charmed. Yeah, he's super cool. Yeah. Uh, In 1937, he served as the chairman of the Council of African Affairs, which was a volunteer anti-colonialist group. They did kind of like lobbying slash awareness work about, you know, the anti-colonial struggle in general. The vice chair of this group, he was in good company, uh, was W.E.B. Du Bois. Oh, that guy. Yeah. So this was this was a prominent group. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this wasn't just, you know, him and a few friends. <laughs> uh, let's see. In 1940, he became an early supporter of China in the Second Sino-Japanese War. So that's where listeners will recall uh, the nationalists and the... Chinese communists were teamed up to fight against the Japanese invasion. Yeah. Okay. 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 Gotcha. Thanks. Thanks for that reminder for our listeners and definitely not just me. Yeah. Not just. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He uh, sang the March of the Volunteers, which becomes the the national anthem for the People's Republic of China later, sings this song at a New York City concert to like raise money for relief efforts and stuff there. And yeah, I was in sings it like in Chinese. Holy shit. And in English. Like a translation he did of it Holy in English. Crap. Okay, yeah, it's songs are hard to translate too. Impressive. Yeah, it's uh, super cool. Okay, real quick. Yeah. So you may answer this later in your notes. I haven't seen them yet, but what do people think about him? I mean, like it sounds like he was very popular internationally. Were people in the states like this guy's crazy? Uh, we are about to get to that. Okay, great. He becomes a pariah. Okay. In the United States. Okay. But he is beloved around the world. Like in the Soviet Union, like one of the things that kids learned in school and everything was one of his his main songs that we'll listen to here, Joe Hill. Uh, and, it, you know, it was it was like a children's song. And it wasn't really a children's song, but it was just like a song you so would learn popular. in school. It was very important. Yeah. Interesting. Like, hear how you always have like Battle Hymn of the Republic or something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, he was... Super popular all around the world. Probably the best known American singer of his time, but not in the United States. <laughs> okay, but that's crazy because, like, I'd never heard about this guy. But, like, yeah. he was so famous. And he was so famous all through this time that we're talking about right now. He has not yeah. crossed over yet. Um, <laughs> he's, like, a huge star in Shakespeare plays, like I said, in movies, in music, in the music industry. 
Like he's a big deal at this time. Okay, listeners, ask your old people in your life if they know who this person is, because I'm just really curious. <laughs> yeah, ask him about Paul Robeson. Uh, let's see, what else did he do? In 1942, he narrated a documentary called Native Land, uh, which was about labor struggles against union-busting businesses. It ended up getting labeled as communist propaganda by the <laughs> FBI. Of course it did. So that's like a this you know this show's seal of approval. If the oh, FBI yeah. said it was communist propaganda, you should probably check it out. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Got to add it to my list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 1946, after the brutal Moore's Ford lynchings in Georgia, uh, where four black people were lynched, uh, he met with President Truman. Oh. Uh, to tell him, hey, y'all need to pass anti-lynching legislation. He said, if you don't. He said, the black people in this country will defend themselves. And Truman, upon getting kind of placed this ultimatum, just said, no, meeting's over. See you. Wow. Of course he did. Yeah. Leave it to a white man. Of course. Getting told no like that, Robeson founded something called the American Crusade Against Lynching, which we're not usually for crusades. <laughs> this that one, one sounds kind of good. Yeah, that one I think we can all get behind. <laughs> So their goal was to push for a federal anti-lynching bill. The FBI said, sounds like communism. That's a communist front. Put it on the list, boys. So they started investigating their members, including one Albert Einstein, who was in that group. What? Yeah. Albert Einstein, kind of cool. He also said he was a socialist. So Really? I did not know that. He wrote an article said, why socialism or something like that. Never hear that in school, do you, kids? No, they 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 leave that part out. He was very <laughs> smart, but politically really stupid. I think is oh, what yeah. they would tell us. Oh yeah, he just he didn't have any real practical knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, uh, you know, socialism is good in theory. In, yeah, in theory, in in general <laughs> relativity theory. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, all right. He was also involved in a civil rights legal defense group that was fairly radical. It was called the Civil Rights Congress. Uh, and they would like kind of put together money to mount legal defenses for people who ran afoul of like the Red Scare laws that were going on, you know? Mm, yeah, it is about that time. Yeah. So anybody who, you know, gets put up on charges of treason or whatever for communism and stuff, that's who they're going to defend. Uh, they, of course, get labeled as communists. <laughs> no, really? Yeah. So he's involved in that. Uh, in 1948, he campaigned for Henry Wallace's bid for president. He was the progressive party candidate in 1948. Uh, Henry Wallace was FDR's vice president before Truman. He was a lefty. Like he was, you know, probably like social democratic, you know, like that. But like. He was also kind of a little bit weird, a little bit uh, eclectic in his beliefs. Like, oh, gosh. Uh, Racist? No, like a uh, new age sort of. Mm, okay. People thought he was a little out there for that. And so they made <laughs> they made him get rid of him on the ticket for Truman in his last term. And so that's how Truman becomes president instead. So he was like into occult shit or something? Sort of. Let me look up. It's it's something weird. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so of, nosy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tell me this guy's secrets. Controversial association with theosophist figure nicholas rorich now this is this is a rabbit hole guys <laughs> this is how it starts theosophist whatever that is a theological philosopher i guess no i'm pretty sure not <laughs> i mean come on what else would it be 
Theosophy is a religion established in the United States during the late 19th century, founded by Russian immigrant Helena Blavatsky. I've heard of this lady. I haven't heard of this lady. We're cutting it. It's a new religious movement, (laughs) part of the occultist stream of Western esotericism. Told you it was going to be some occult shit. Love it. All right. Well, yeah, that might all get cut. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Uh, And doing this campaigning, he was campaigning in the Deep South. Uh Uh-oh. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he made it out okay. He was fine. But okay, it was good. very risky to do. Yeah. And in 1949, he starts touring abroad because, wouldn't you know it, his concerts in the U.S. keep conveniently getting canceled at the request of the FBI. Oh, my gosh. Are they saying that, like, it's a dangerous communist event or something? That sort of thing. Yeah. Oh they're asking the venues, hey, can you shut this down, please? Like, Wow. And, of course, they comply, because why not? Yep. And this brings us to a speech that he gives in, on April 20th, 1949. 420. <laughs> uh, he speaks to the World Congress of Partisans for Peace in Paris. Okay. Uh, this was a common form group. So kind of like the common turn, but like the International like Information Bureau for the, for the Communist Movement. And he gives this speech. And in it, he said... We in America do not forget that it was the backs of white workers from Europe and on the backs of millions of blacks that the wealth of America was built. And we are resolved to share it equally. We reject any hysterical raving that urges us to make war on anyone. Our will to fight for peace is strong. We shall support peace and friendship among all nations with Soviet Russia and the People's Republics. This guy's fucking cool. So he gives a speech, yeah, and he's like, peace, yo, we're not going (laughs) to... You know, we're not going to try to fuck up other countries for some imperialists, right? That sounds good. All right. Well, before he had even taken the stage, Uh the Associated Press, you know, very well respected news outlet and everything, (laughs) uh, they ran what I would, you know, what turned out to be a more scandalous, but I think is a cooler, more hyped up version of what he said. Okay. Wait, but if this was before he took the stage, did they get like an advanced copy, supposedly? No, they, yeah, they just made it up. Yeah. They made it up. Uh, they took, they, maybe they got a copy of what he was going to say and then ramped it up. And they, so they, you know, publish this in the States and they say, we colonial peoples have contributed to the building of the United States and are determined to share its wealth. We denounce the policy of the United States government, which is similar to Hitler and Goebbels. It is unthinkable that American black people would go to war on behalf of those who have oppressed us for generations against the Soviet Union, which in one generation has lifted our people to full human dignity. I mean, also not wrong. Yeah, that one's pretty good. Too. <laughs> that one's great. But, you know, they add a little spice a in there. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> they add okay. a little spice in there that was not there. <laughs> the spice of lies. And so that gets him the blacklist. I'm sure. Uh, this is, you know, back when cancel culture really had teeth. <laughs> it really did something. Yeah. Uh, the press full on, you know, starts calling him a commie traitor. Some of his erstwhile allies, like the NAACP, just mm-hmm. they abandoned him. They criticize him. Eleanor Roosevelt's the same way. She's like, that was not a good thing to say. Oh that God, was bad. Eleanor. Which usually she's pretty good, but. Mm. And, uh. Jackie Robinson also, he gets called into HUAC and asked to comment on this, uh, the House Un-American Activities Committee in Congress. And he's like, well, yeah, I guess that was a silly thing to say. Shouldn't have said that. 
but he kind of words it. He, he does, he does in a statement say like, just because a communist criticizes something the U S government is doing, doesn't mean that, you know, they're wrong about that's that. That's not true. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was like, well, that's not so bad, but uh, yeah, not bad for a lot of people. It, you know, it, it kind of was, you know, cooperating in a way. And he looked yeah. back on that and was like, yeah, okay, probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> Robeson gets all these problems in the press. People are canceling on him in terms of events and things and not letting him like be, you know, appear with them and stuff. His annual income drops from around 150,000 to 3,000. Holy and you're talking shit. about, you know, 1949 money. That's a lot. Yeah. Jesus. Let me run an inflation calculator real quick. Oh, crunch the numbers. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> See, you sound like. So he went from 1.8 million to 36,000. Holy shit, he became a teacher. From Prada to Nada. <laughs> wow, yeah, that is from Prada to Nada right there. I really hope, like. I hope someone watches that movie. Yeah, 30% of our listeners have now watched that just because of us. Listeners, please tell me if you've watched this Univision original television movie. It's very Uh, bad. All right. Bad stuff, right? Uh, He does manage to get a concert scheduled. Uh, It's it's a benefit concert that he's doing with Pete Seeger and his group. Uh, Not the the Almanac Singers, a different group, because, you know, everything's very fluid back then. And they're doing this benefit concert for the Civil Rights Congress, for that uh, legal defense fund thing. And so they have this set up. It's in Peekskill, New York. But it gets postponed. This is August 27th. It gets postponed because there are like local mobs going around doing quote unquote counter protesting against it. But like they're actually attacking would be concert goers with baseball bats and rocks. Okay. Yeah. Not really counter protesting so much as just like beating people up yeah they also uh did an effigy of robeson and lynched it uh and they burned a cross holy shit Uh, they shouted dirty commie and racial epithets at people who were trying to go there and so they shut the concert down they're like this is dangerous yeah the local veterans of foreign wars and american legion chapters these kind of right-wing veterans groups uh, said, you know, oh, we were following the law. We were peacefully protesting. What the fuck? You know, it wasn't, we didn't do anything. The police shrugged mm. their shoulders and said it wasn't in our jurisdiction. Fucking shocker. <laughs> well, it gets worse. So they rescheduled they the concert. <laughs> no, not in this case. But they rescheduled the concert until a while later, September the 4th. And they coordinate it. And this one has, um, they're working with unions, with the Fur and Leather Workers Union, with the Longshoremen, with the United Electrical Workers Union, to get union men out there to provide security, uh, to essentially create a human wall uh, to defend the concert against any, you know, fascist types that come up. Woody Guthrie actually signs up to go with them and, and be one of these defending guys. So, yeah, he's, he's there along with them. And the concert goes well. Uh, it's violence-free during the concert. It's attended by some 20,000 people. But the aftermath of the concert is not peaceful at all. As the concert goers are leaving, and, you know, the wall's coming down because they're leaving and everything, and you can't protect everyone going in all their different directions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the 
mobs converge on the concert goers yelling, we're Hitler's boys. Whoa. And Lynch Robeson. Whoa. Yeah. They, uh, I mean, they really say the quiet part out loud. <laughs> they said worse things, obviously, all sorts of racial slurs and everything. And they attacked, you know, people as they're driving away and like throwing rocks through, busting the glass of their of their cars and everything and, and straight up overturning some of the cars, dragging people out of their cars and beating them, uh, throwing rocks at the, at, there were some buses too, that were transporting people. They also had, you know, a burning cross or two out there as well. The local police and the state troopers weren't indifferent this time. Uh, some of them joined in the beatings, uh, and were even like, we know because they were photographed doing so. Uh, the, the first black combat pilot, a decorated World War I veteran named Eugene Bullard, was photographed getting beaten by a local police officer, a state trooper, and a civilian. Jesus Christ. And overall, over 140 people, men, women, and children are injured. The governor, when people go to protest at his office saying, hey, how the fuck did this happen? He says, just like the mainstream press was saying, it's those communists' fault. Yep. They provoked the local Fucking people called there. It. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! So those were called the Peekskill riots. Damn, dude. Yeah. So things weren't looking well for Robeson. The blacklisting continues. He gets stricken from the record of college football. Basically, like the what all-American the teams. It's just like, yeah, he's not on that list. Like, what the fuck? At all. Yeah. They destroyed newsreel footage of him. Uh, they erased recordings of him. In the media, it was just like a blackout of him. Like we're saying, That's real cancel crazy. culture, like actually got canceled. <laughs> yeah. The State Department also denied him a passport. They said, uh, we don't want you going abroad, basically. They told him his frequent criticisms of the treatment of black people in the U.S. should not be aired in foreign countries. Okay, but you're still going to treat black people like shit, though. It's like, oh, yeah. you can't leave, but we're going to treat you badly here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You'd think they'd be like, you should leave. And this is the country that was complaining about the Berlin Wall. So, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so he doesn't really let up. He founds a monthly newspaper, co-founds it with W.E.B. Du Bois titled Freedom. Uh, and he keeps airing his views, you know, keeps, keeps speaking out, uses it as a platform to say, hey, the government's not letting me, you know, get a passport and shit like that. Uh, the FBI starts planting articles in the U.S. and in the international press to kind of discredit him and the Communist uh, Party in general. In 1951, the Civil Rights Congress group that he's a part of uh, petitioned the U.N. to charge the U.S. with genocide against black people. Whoa. Saying basically they were allowing lynching and thus allowing a genocide. I mean, here's the thing. We could just do that same charge today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we can add trans people in there, too. Jeez. Yup. <sighs> Obviously, that was either it, it was ignored or when it was brought up, it was criticized for being like communist linked. Oh, my God, guys. <laughs> Even if something is communist linked, again, it can still be true. Like, yep. What the fuck? He is awarded the International Stalin Peace Prize in 1952. This is later renamed the International Lenin Peace Prize once uh, Khrushchev comes into power. 
that's actually so, so like Stalin dies in 1953 uh, and Paul Robeson uh, he he wrote like a kind of a eulogy to him titled mm. to you, my beloved comrade. I'm sure he didn't offend everything he did. Yeah. But he was generally pro Stalin. So, you know, you can give him a strike for that if you want. Yeah. Yeah. Not my favorite attribute, <laughs> but whatever. In 1956, he was brought before the House Un-American Activities Committee. For refusing to sign an affidavit affirming that he was not a communist. Oh my god, how is this even legal? Uh, later on, it's it's not, but at the time, they thought it was. <laughs> uh, and so he invoked the Fifth Amendment a lot. There is a brilliant performance of this by James Earl Jones. Ooh, okay. Uh, we can play a clip of that or play it in full. It's really good. But he, he, like, puts them on blast. And this is, like, from, like, the transcripts that they have of it. Oh, okay. Is it, like, from a movie or something? or It's from... I, so I don't know specifically where this recording is from, but I do know that James Earl Jones did, like, a one-man show about Ooh. Paul Robeson. Cool. Okay. I mean, James Earl Jones is already cool, but he got a little bit cooler today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you want to hear it? Yes. In July of 1954, were you requested to submit a non-communist affidavit? Under no conditions would I think of signing such an affidavit. It is a contradiction of the rights of American citizens. Are you now a member of the Communist Party? Oh, please, please, please. Please answer, will you, Mr. Robeson? What is the Communist Party? What do you mean by that? Are you now a member of the Communist Party? Would you like Party? to come to the ballot box when I vote and take out the ballot and see? Mr. Chairman, I respectfully suggest the witness be directed to answer the question. You are directed to answer, Gentlemen, Mr. Robson. In the first place, wherever I have been in the world, the first to die in the struggle against fascism were the communists. I laid many wreaths upon the graves of communists. That is not criminal. Chief Justice Warren has been very clear that the Fifth Amendment does not have anything to do with the influence of criminality. And I invoke the Fifth Amendment. The witness talks very loud when he makes a speech, but when he invokes the Fifth Amendment, I can't hear him. I have medals for diction. Right. I can talk plenty loud. Will you talk a little louder? I invoke the Fifth Amendment loudly. Could I ask whether this is legal? This is not only legal, but usual. By unanimous vote, this committee has been instructed to perform this very distasteful task. To whom am I talking? You're speaking to the chairman of the committee. Mr. Walter? Yes. The Pennsylvania Walter? That is right. Representative of the steel workers? That is right. And the coal mining workers? That is right. Not United States steel by any chance. Our great patriot. That is right. You are the author of the bills that are going to keep all kinds of decent people out of the country. No, only your kind. Colored people like myself? and you would let in the Teutonic Anglo-Saxon stock. We are trying to make it easier to get rid of your kind, too. You don't want any colored people to come in. The reason I'm here today, from the mouth of the State Department itself, is I should not be allowed to travel because I have struggled for the independence of the colonial peoples of Africa. The other reason I'm here today, again, from the State Department and from the record of the Court of Appeals, is that when I am abroad, I speak out against injustices against the Negro people in this land. That is why I'm here. I'm not being tried for whether I'm a communist. I'm being tried for fighting for the rights of my people. 
who are still second-class citizens in this country, in this United States of America. My mother was born in your state, and my mother was a Quaker. And my ancestors, in the time of Washington, baked bread for George Washington's troops when they crossed the Delaware. My father was a slave. I stand here struggling for the rights of my people to be full citizens in this country. And they are not. They are not in Mississippi. They are not in Montgomery, Alabama. They are not in Washington. They are nowhere. And that is why I am here today. You want to shut up every Negro who has the courage to stand up and fight for the rights of his people, for the rights of workers. And I have been on many a picket line for the steel workers, too. And that is why I'm here today. Would you tell us whether or not you know Thomas W. Young? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. You said, Mr. Robeson, and I quote, I belong to the American resistance movement, which fights against American imperialism, just as the resistance movement fought against Hitler. Just like Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman were underground railroaders and fighting for our freedom, you bet your life. I have to insist that you listen to these questions. I am listening. Did you write an article that was published in the USSR Information Bulletin? Yes. Quote, I want to emphasize that only here in the Soviet Union did I feel that I was a real man with a capital M, close quote. I am quite willing to answer the question. When I was a singer years ago, I learned the Russian language to sing their songs. I wish you would listen now. Mr. Chairman, I ask you to direct the witness to answer the question. Just be fair with me. I ask for order. The great poet of Russia is of African blood. Let us not go so far It is far important afield. to explain this. Did you make that statement? When I first went to Russia in 1934. Did you make that statement? When state? I first went to Russia in Did 1934. Did you make that state? In Russia, I felt for the first time like a full human being. No color prejudice like in Mississippi. No color prejudice like in Washington. It was the first time I felt like a human being. But I do not feel the pressure of color as I feel it in this committee today. Why do you not stay in Russia? Because my father was a slave, and my people died to build this country. And I'm going to stay here and have a part of it just like you, and no fascist-minded people will drive me from it. Is that clear? You are here because you are promoting the communist cause. I am here because I am opposing the neo-fascist cause, which I see arising in these committees. Jefferson could be sitting here, and Frederick Douglass could be sitting here. Eugene Debs could be sitting here. Now, what prejudice are you talking about? You were graduated from Rutgers, and you were graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. I remember seeing you play football at Lehigh. There was no prejudice against you. Just a moment. This is something I challenge very deeply, that the success of a few Negroes can make up for $700 a year for thousands of Negro families in the South. My father was a slave. And I have cousins who are sharecroppers. I do not see success in terms of myself. I have sacrificed hundreds of thousands of dollars for what I believe in. While you were in Moscow, Mr. Robeson, did you make a speech lauding Stalin? I can't remember. Have you recently changed what the mind about Stalin? To Stalin, gentlemen, is a question for the Soviet Union, and I won't argue with a representative of the people who, in building America, wasted the lives of my people. You are responsible, you and your forebears, for 60 to 100 million black people dying in the slave ships and on the plantations. Don't you ask me about anybody. Please. I'm sure you wouldn't want to discuss with us the slave labor camps in the Nothing Soviet Union. Nothing could be built more on slavery than this society, I assure you. I would invite your attention to the Daily Worker of June 29, 1949, with reference to a get-together with you and Ben Davis, formerly communist councilman in New York. Do you know Ben One Davis? One of my dearest friends, he is as 
patriotic and American as can be, and you gentlemen are the non-patriots. Just a minute. You are the un-Americans. The hearing is now adjourned. I think it should be. I've endured all of this that I can. Can I read my statement? No! The meeting is adjourned! It should be. That was fucking straight fire. Yes, 100%. 10 out of 10. Oh my gosh. First off, Mufasa's a fucking comrade. Good news. (laughs) (laughs) Um... That was amazing. I loved... He was just, like, so, like, defiant. And so, like, you can tell how fucking smart this guy is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, legally trained, you know? Yeah, he, I, and that's funny. He was like, I'm a lawyer. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot you're a lawyer because you're so good at everything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, oh, my gosh, that was that was really cool. I loved the point. At one point, he goes, like, uh, I can't hear you or whatever. Like, can you speak clearly? He's like, I have several medals for diction. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, people pay to hear me. Like, I have a good voice. You can fucking hear me. <laughs> so good. Oh, there. my gosh. I loved it. I loved his fucking, like, that is such a fantastic point of, like, guess who's always been at the head of every anti-fascist movement? I'll give you a hint. <laughs> yeah. And and about, you know, the resistance movement being you know hey that was fucking frederick Douglass, that was harriet mm-hmm. tubman those people who are now heroes but who back then were criminals yeah no i'm i'm doing research for an upcoming episode on john brown and like that guy absolutely a criminal yeah. but Friend guess who show. was right yep <laughs> john brown oh uh, man so that's gonna be a hard editing choice to figure out what yeah to put there. It, it was all good so Good luck to tomorrow, me, figuring that yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was his UAC testimony. Obviously doesn't go that, you know, go that well, but they just throw them out. They're like, fuck, fuck Listeners, you. we're going to pull out like some of our favorite clips, um, but we'll also have the full list on our Spotify playlist. We'll have the full clip on that as well. Yes. Yeah. That's linked in my notes. Awesome. All right. In 1958, he does catch a break. This is two years after that HUAC meeting. The Supreme Court... There's a case called Kent versus Dulles, which rules that denying a passport without due process was unconstitutional. So Robeson got his passport back. It's that same year he publishes an autobiography slash kind of like manifesto of sorts called Here I Stand. Uh, and it's that year that he starts touring again, you know, because, I mean, he just got his passport back. He's eager to do so. Starts touring again in the UK and Moscow. Uh, 1960, he does a two month tour of Australia and New Zealand where he supports the citizenship and equal rights of the Aborigines people and really like raises awareness. A lot of people hadn't been talking about that at all. It's after this tour that he kind of, he plans to return to the U S the civil rights movement is burgeoning, which he wants to take part in. He also is kind of planning down the road, a visit to Cuba to meet with Fidel and Che. You know, he wants to add that to the tour list, basically. Absolutely. He was talking to his wife about this. She was kind of hesitant about it, obviously, because, mm-hmm. like, the feds. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to love that move. Uh, but they still had some time left to figure it out. Up next, they had a stop in Moscow in March of 1961. And here's where things really break bad. Uh-oh. So in March of 1961, Robeson had some sort of a health crisis in Moscow. Uh, It was following a surprise party for him at his hotel. At the time, it was reported as a heart attack. Uh, Just a content warning uh, going forward for um, uh, for a suicide attempt. 
Uh, but really, instead of a heart attack, he had locked himself in his bedroom and attempted suicide by cutting his wrists. Oh, my God. Uh, his son, Paul Robeson Jr., visits him in, Mo- in a Moscow hospital shortly afterward. And Robeson told him that he had felt extreme paranoia. He had thought the walls of the room were moving and had been overcome with emptiness and depression. So that's why he did that. I mean, did he have a history of like mental illness issues or was this like very sudden? Uh, He had dizziness spells, I want to say, at some point previously while traveling, but nothing this severe, nothing at all like this. September of the same year, 1961, uh, he leaves for London and is admitted to Priory Hospital there. And for two years, he is treated with heavy doses of barbiturates oh, no. and undergoes 54 electroconvulsive therapy treatments, uh, all without any accompanying psychotherapy. Oh, my God. He basically becomes unresponsive pretty much. Uh, in August 1963, friends and family, you know, obviously concerned about that. They get him out uh, of London. They transfer him to Buke Clinic in East Berlin. Uh, he gets psychotherapy. He gets less medication. The doctors there apparently were really upset. Like they were like, "How the how the fuck did they do this to somebody?" Like they yeah. were giving him so many drugs. Uh, they were doing all these electroshock things. His condition rapidly improved, but he never wow. like fully recovers from that. Like he's permanently scarred from that experience. That's so fucked up. In December of 1963, he's able to return to the U.S. and lives more or less a private life. Uh, He made a few public appearances for the civil rights movement, but not like really leading things like he had wanted to. He falls seriously ill again in 1965. He gets double pneumonia and a kidney blockage and just has to quit that altogether. Uh, He leads the rest of his life in seclusion, pretty much sticking to just family and close friends, living at his sister's home in Philadelphia and dies on January 23rd, 1976, after complications from a stroke. That's so sad. He had so many plans he still wanted to do. Yeah. His son has said kind of a a pretty conspiratorial alternative mm. uh, theory or explanation as to what happened there. Um, he says that this initial suicide attempt uh, may have been the work of the CIA. He's investigated it for more than 30 years, and I don't have, like, I couldn't find, like, his book to see, like, the sources on everything. But I'll present what he said, because it's, you know, I like a good CIA conspiracy (laughs) idea. We all do around here. He thinks that U.S. agents slipped Robeson a synthetic hallucinogen called BZ at the surprise party. He also alleges that three doctors who were treating, or I mean, you know, quote unquote treating, if you can call it that. At London? Yeah, in London. <gasps> that three of these doctors had been CIA contractors. Oh, shit. So I don't know specifically what that means or like when that would be, you know, if they were currently or what, but um, that was an allegation too. I don't know the, yeah, I don't know the veracity of any of that. I will say that there are some kind of corresponding facts. British intelligence was monitoring Robeson during his treatment. The FBI did start a status of health report for him in April 1961. Heavy drugging combined with electroconvulsive therapy 
was a technique used in the CIA's torturous MKUltra program. Oh, fuck. And the Bay of Pigs invasion of his upcoming tour stop in Cuba did take place only a month after the crisis. Whoa. <laughs> so so it's, a, it's a little bit... Fishy. Yeah, it's fishy at okay. least. Wow. I mean, this like really speaks to how far gone I've gone because like I also kind of thought that like when we were talking about like whenever you're saying they were like, how the fuck did they get someone this bad? I was like, mm, it's a little shady, you know, like the that London shit. But, yeah. How, how did they, you know, how did that become the treatment? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I thought maybe it was like just regular medical racism or something or, you know, just or or it could have been like they knew his reputation and didn't like him or something, you know. But I, I didn't quite get too far to straight up conspiracy. But yeah, I mean, wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Let's put it that way. That's kind of where I'm at, too. It's uh, I don't think we'll ever know. I mean, think about how radical this guy was. And if he had had the opportunity to go back to the States, one, to go to Cuba and one to go back to the States to like bolster the civil rights movement in a more like radical fashion. Like, that'd be pretty fucking powerful. Yeah. And I mean, they, they didn't were, that. <laughs> yeah, they were targeting Martin Luther King, you know, Malcolm X. They were doing whatever they could to stop any sort of, any sort of black leaders. It's so sad. Yep. So his life was cut short. I mean, I guess he lived into the 70s, but it's like his career. Yeah. And like his, his full, you know, healthy life or whatever. Yeah. And his activism. Yeah. yeah. All right, now let's get to some music. Hell yeah, pick me back up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the first on our list is a song called Joe Hill. All right, this is the really famous one you said, right? Yes. All right, let's listen to it. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there 
voice of an angel that is yeah it's incredible (laughs) just perfect (laughs) and yeah again he said like this isn't even my best voice (laughs) yeah i mean well i'm kind of glad you know he probably would have like opened the seventh seal of revelation or something (laughs) if he had his real (laughs) the world would end yeah it'd be too beautiful we don't deserve it (laughs) like it'd be like you know zeus you can't look at him straight on you just melt (laughs) yeah All right, so that was Joe Hill. Is this like a thing based on a real person or folktale? Okay, okay, tell me about it. All right, so Joe Hill was a Swedish-American wobbly. He was in the IWW. Uh, He was kind of around in the 1910s. He became a popular songwriter and cartoonist for the IWW. Oh, I love a cartoonist. Yeah. Uh, He was known for such union songs as The Preacher and the Slave, uh, The Tramp, uh, There is Power in a Union, the Rebel Girl, and Casey Jones, The Union Scab. Oh, cool. Those are some bangers. Yeah. That was him. He wrote those. Nice. Um, and I mean, sometimes he borrowed melodies and stuff, sure. But oh, like, yeah. They all did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Joe Hill was framed on a murder charge, like the song says. This was in mm. 1914. Uh, basically, he went in to the doctor for a gunshot wound on the same day that like a grocery store person got robbed at gunpoint. Mm. Uh, and so because he also had a red bandana at his house, he was like, what? Oh, this guy, it's definitely him. Also, they hated him because he was a union activist. Okay. Like red bandanas are the most common color of bandanas. And four other people were treated for gunshot wounds <laughs> in the town that day. Okay. So you're like, wow, that's terrible. Apparently one of the witnesses, when he first came up, one of, like one of the kids, I think of, of the guy who'd been shot was like, that's not him at all. But then like later said like, Oh, it's him. Like after oh, they went gosh. back and told him, no, that's the guy that we're going to get, you know? So uh, they completely framed him up. Yeah. Uh, and they executed him by firing squad, November 19th, 1915. Ugh. He was also famous for writing in his last telegram to Big Bill Haywood. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, he said, don't waste any time in mourning. Organize. So that's kind of where that line comes from. Damn. Yeah. So the lyrics to this song were written as a poem in 1930 by Alfred Hayes and put to music by Communist Party member Earl Robinson in 1936. And then Paul Robeson recorded it later. Weird that that's like a children's song in Russia. Yeah, I don't know so much like young children, but like, you know, in school sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's fair. <laughs> it's not like it's grotesque or anything. But no, they're not grotesque. It's just a sad It's a tale. bummer. All right. So the thing with, yeah, the thing with his 
music is. Most of, well, none of it is like he wrote it. He's just performing it, but they're cool. I, I selected from not so much his most well-known stuff. Joe Hill is very well known for him, but more like the stuff from him that like fits our stuff. Like it's gotcha, leftist. Gotcha. Cause there's, a, there's a lot out there, you know, old standards and everything too much for us to get into. All right. Uh, next up on the list is no more auction block for me. I mean, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Let's listen to it. No more auction block for me. No more, no more. No more auction block for me. Many Salt for me, no more, no more, no more pint of salt for me. Many an old african-american spiritual the sort of the lyrics and things are referring to like one i found weird was no more pint of salt is that like what people gave like freed slaves or something well it was like part of a slave's rations oh okay it's interesting so this song the reason that i include it is because it uh, influenced a song called i'll overcome someday by one Charles Albert Tinley in 1901. It was a hymn. Okay. And then over the course of this hymn's life, it eventually evolved into the civil rights movement anthem, We Shall Overcome. Ah, interesting. Can can you kind of recognize it there at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. I can see it. A further afield connection, but that still kind of has it. It's still related to the civil rights movement, and you kind of have to struggle a little bit more to hear it, but... It also, that same motif, the main, you know, that thing, if you change the tempo of that, you get Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind. Oh my God. Yeah. That's the same thing, but different rhythm. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. So, so a lot of, you know, a lot of the songs we don't think about have these deep, deep roots in, Mm -hmm. you know, the most American of musical genres that we have. 
All right. Uh, next up, we've got a real banger, John Brown's Body. Oh, that's my guy. Hell yeah. All right, let's listen to it. It's a little bit dorky with the... Yeah, a little dorky stuff, with the but... snare drum. So yeah, good cover. <laughs> yeah, uh, always got to throw whatever shout-outs we can to um, abolitionist martyr, proud murderer of slavers, and total badass friend of the show, John Subject Brown. Subject of a future episode. <laughs> Hell yeah. What we got next? Who's Kevin Barry? Why are we singing about him? Uh, Kevin Barry was an 18-year-old IRA soldier um, who the... British government cruelly tortured and executed uh, November 1st, 1920 during the Irish War of Independence. Give it a listen. In Mountjoy Jail One Monday morning High upon A girl's tree Kevin Barry Gave his young Cause of liberty, but a lad of eighteen summers, yet no one can deny, as he walked to death at morning, proudly held his head on Calmly standing at attention While he bade his last farewell To his broken-hearted mother Whose grief no one can tell For the cause he proudly cherished Sad parting had to be. Then to death walked softly smiling. That old island might be free. That was a nice one. Yeah, it's got a great it does. melody. It uh. It was written by an unknown author shortly after uh, that brutal torture and execution. Kevin Barry, as an IRA soldier, 
had taken part in an attack on an army supply truck that killed three British soldiers. Um, apparently, the U.S. and Vatican officials both pleaded for a reprieve, but the British government said no, and they murdered Kevin Barry anyway, hanged him like a common wow. criminal. Robeson kind of chose like a couple of the tamer verses in that. One of them says, shoot me like an Irish soldier. Do not hang me like a dog. And one of them, you know, details that says, uh, just before he faced the hangman in his dreary prison cell, British soldiers tortured Barry just because he would not tell. Uh, yeah, he, you know, he's, he's, he's trying not to make it so bad. Yeah. Make it as gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> Side That's note. a good one. I looked up yeah. Paul Robeson or Robeson, I guess. Either way, I okay. hear it both ways. I looked up. He's also hot and just like, I want him to be <laughs> bad at something. I want him to be like, I'm a terrible cook. You know? <laughs> what does that say about me that I have Maybe this like schadenfreude? You just want to be confident that everyone okay. has flaws, which we just said. Yeah, he was, he was you a know, womanizer and like Stalin a little too much. Defending Stalin. We'll take it. Yeah. Next up on our list, we don't have to listen to the whole of this, but I thought it was cool. Uh, it's called Song of the Plains. Um, it actually, in Russian, I'm going to do really badly at it. It's called Polyushko Polya, uh, which literally translates as little field. Like, Polyushko is the diminutive of Polya. So it's little field, field. Uh, another alternative, like, English title for it is Oh, fields, oh, my fields. Fields, my fields. I love these fields. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like that <laughs> title. I think that's the first one that I saw it under, but then... This recording has it as Songs of the Plain. Uh, but anyway, it's a Russian patriotic song, like a like from Soviet times, composed and, and put the lyrics in 1933. It's about a Red Army recruit who proudly leaves home to keep watch against the Soviet Union's enemies. I originally heard it by the Red Army Choir, so it was cool to hear it in okay, English. Okay, great. Here. Let's give it a listen. Oh, yeah, got that real Russian chord progression. Oh, Oh, you get all. 
красной армии герои. Эх, едем мы, едем мы, едем округом колхозы. Наши девушки колхозы, эх, там молодые наши села. That is so good. That song slaps. That's great. Okay, I want to pitch. Do you know Mitski? (laughs) Mitski? No, this is a a modern singer. She does the one Uh, called Nobody. She's really famous for that one. Anyway. Nope, I don't know. Sad girl music. I think she could do a great cover of this. But like I'm picturing like oh like maybe her or like Billie Eilish or like someone kind of like modern with like like that like driving beat and that like really sad O's in there. I think that would be so good. That would. Now they'd have to change the content or they'd be accused of anti-Ukrainian oh, propaganda. Fuck, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which we're not worried no, about, I guess, but but it's fine. Um Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying I would so love a modern cover. If someone out there knows of one, let me know. I, or if someone wants to do one, let me know. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, he also, you know, he, that wasn't his only Russian work, and not by far. Uh, but another popular Soviet song that he covered was the, uh, well, the national anthem. Uh, so they started out with the international being yeah, that's their a banger. national anthem. But uh, when in 1944, they changed that to the one that you hear more often. I probably theirs. know it. <laughs> yeah, that one. That's the one. He did an English translation of that, like kind of a lyrical, poetic translation cool. of it. Okay, it's pretty good. Awesome. Just Google that or something. You can find <laughs> it. Uh, we're going to move on to the last one in the selection. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. This was a traditional black spiritual from slavery times. Uh, they don't actually have an origin story for it. Yeah, it just, you know, really old. Is there. Yeah, uh, it ends up being pretty frequently heard during the civil rights movement. Uh, and Robeson records it in 1926. All right, well, let's hear it. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child A long way from home A long way from home Oh, my brother 
That song was really familiar. I, I guess I think I must have heard it before then, like because it's one of those old, old spirituals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one's a powerful one as well. It has these deep, you know, old stories that it's telling, but like that are easily that are still resonant. I mean, that's why it's still around, still around, especially during the civil rights movement and everything. You know. All right, and that's what we've wow. got. Wow. Okay. Um, this guy was fucking cool. <laughs> That's my review. Fucking cool. Good at <laughs> everything. Amazing voice. Like, holy crap. Just like the deepest, most resonant. Like, I can't even get kind of close to how beautiful that is. Yeah, it was fantastic. Perfection. It's so it's uh, it's like there's categories of songs to me where I don't. I try not to sing along with them because they're like too good to hear. Like, I want to hear that. not me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I feel that. I mean, I'll sing them on my own and stuff, like when I have them stuck in my head. But when it's on, yeah, I'm like, like I no, can't I'm interrupt this. this. This is too good. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely Paul Robeson. I'm an egomaniac voice. and I sing along to like fucking Broadway musicals. I have no business trying to sing along to. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, whatever. All right. Uh, what are our other thoughts? So perf- perfect. Perfect. Perfect voice. voice. Angel. Angel voice. I love that one quote he had about like an artist has to take sides. I think like that's absolutely fucking true. I really admire that like he just fucking goes for it. He's like unapologetically communist, socialist, like all that stuff. He's just like, yeah, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, that's what I was saying. He's probably correctly typed Aries. Yes. <laughs> Is that he's always he's he's fighting even when he's getting blacklisted and everything. He's like Whatever. fiery. Fire yeah. sign. Stays angry, so I think that's another way you can relate. Absolutely, like yeah, very defiant. I mean, that Hugh hearing I fucking loved. Like that was great. I think that really, like I, I love how he's able to, I mean, just call out American imperialism for what it is, and just like so, yeah, so well put. Yes, very yeah. impressive, dude. For sure. And, you know, we say don't have heroes and whatever. Yeah, don't. But you can have people you think yeah, are cool. he seems pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. That was awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, All right, so that was Paul Robeson. What are we doing well, next week? Well, this is a pretty good segue. Our guy, Paul, covered one of our favorite songs, which is John Brown's Body. And next week, we'll learn about John Brown's life that he had in his body. <laughs> All right. <laughs> about awesome. the, the animated John version Brown. of his body. <laughs> yeah. What I know about John Brown, actually, I know quite a bit, but I also know that he tragically didn't get to kill enough slave owners in his lifetime. You know, that was one thing that maybe one of my strikes <laughs> is didn't kill enough slave owners. Could have killed a few more. We can say that because slave owners are dead. You're not. You're not threatening. Oh, absolutely. Anybody. Yeah, kill them all. That's that's fine. Yeah, you can threaten like 
wanton violence <laughs> against historical people. <laughs> They're not here. Oh, what are they going to do about it? Well, no, then you get yeah, you start exactly. getting descendants. They're like, you threatened to kill my definitely dead, <laughs> my already dead relative ancestor. Like, okay, what am I going to do about that? Anyway, yeah, yeah, I think it's a really good story in terms of like what we we're talking about earlier with like you know Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman, who are also in that story. Those kinds of people being considered criminal when now they are regarded as heroes. And I think. It's important to note that they're considered heroes within a narrow yes. framework. People don't like to get into the nitty gritty of what all they supported or yes, did. You know, definitely. Cool. All right. all right. Well, I will talk to you next week then. All right. Bye. bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.